My phone rang. It was my agent, and he told me that he'd just gotten the call from ABC and that I'd gotten the job as co-host of Good Morning America. But then a few minutes later, I got another call, and it was my gynecologist telling me I was pregnant with my first baby. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. This is not a race. This is war. He's got no clue. I just burned down his house, man. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have award-winning journalist and TV pioneer Joan London, as she shares how a rival TV station helped her land a dream job, her battles working in a male-dominated industry, and how she made it to Good Morning America. Last week, we learned how to answer emails on the treadmill with Damon John, and this week, we take a walk through television history with Joan London. With such an amazing career, I had to ask her how she got her start in the business. I grew up in Northern California in Sacramento. To be very honest, I always thought that I was going to grow up and be a doctor, just like my dad. My dad was a cancer surgeon, and I always wanted to you know, save lives. Um, but as my college days were kind of winding down, one night, um, a friend of the family who worked at a local TV station there in Sacramento was at our house for dinner. And, of course, as usual, the conversation turned to, so, Joan, when you're done with school, what are you going to do? And he made this suggestion. He said, I think you should consider working in TV news. He said the women's movement was really heating up, as we all know it was back in the 70s, uh, in America, and he said, and what's happening is that they're putting pressure on the FCC, and the FCC is now putting pressure on all of us, the local stations, to add more women to our newscasts. And, you know, I could have really let that passing comment go because there were practically no women on TV news that I could, like, look at as role models. It just seemed like the most random comment. Um, but thankfully, somehow the next morning, I got up and I called the station and I got an interview with the news director. And, you know, when I look back at my life, that move, taking that risk, kind of that leap of faith into the unknown. Um, and frankly, at, you know, when you're in your young 20s, having enough confidence in my own possibilities that I was actually going to be able to do that job that was clearly the most important move that I ever made in my entire life was making that call. I went in to do that interview with that news director, and I mean, bottom line, he didn't have a job for me. But I was in the studio, and while I was in there, the weatherman at the station saw my audition, and he followed me out the door, and he offered me to train to be a weather girl, which was something brand new around the country. And I have to admit, when he first said it to me, I thought, how uninteresting could that be? I mean, the weather? I mean, you know, sorry, any weathermen out there, but it just didn't seem at all interesting to me. But somehow I had the good sense to recognize that this was an opportunity. And in fact, by saying yes, uh, it was really the stepping stone that launched my career as a news anchor. Where do you think your courage came from in the first place? Wow, I grew up with a mom who was like the guru of positive thinking. And she literally gave us these powerful positive affirmations. You can be anything you want to be. 
and, you know, always reach for the stars. If you aim too low, you may make your mark. Like, she was always filled with these. Um, and she was a huge uh, influence on me and always made me think that whatever I attempted, that there was the possibility that I was going to be successful at it, so give it a try. That was her attitude, and I think I would have to credit her. My dad, of course, just being a role model of of being an incredible physician, but my mom was the one, you know, they're the ones that wake you up in the morning and give you those first little thoughts of the day. She made sure that that when I left for school that I expected of myself to be the best. How did that play a part? I know that your next move was from Sacramento, and, and, and you know, taking that courage, uh, where did you end up after Sacramento? Well, you know, there just, you know, weren't very many women anchors uh, on television broadcasts around in cities around America, and the broadcast that I was on in Sacramento was number one. And, you know, there was a station across town who brought in one of these, you know, TV news doctors to say, what did we do to try to be number one? And, you know, sometimes they'll say, you know, make your weatherman your sports guy or whatever, you know, suggestion they have. But their suggestion was to get rid of me at the station across town, that new girl, that new blonde girl over there. That was their suggestion. So they started sending my tapes all over the country. And I started getting calls from news directors in Atlanta. And it was like having an agent that you didn't have to pay for. And I got all these job offers. And finally, I, that's what led to being hired in New York City um, as a reporter and anchor for their eyewitness news program. And so, you know, all of a sudden... I was on a much bigger playing field in New York City, and maybe one of the biggest advantages of that was that the TV producers of all the network shows live in your town. So when they go home in the evening and they turn on the local news, they see you. And I'd only been in New York maybe a year or so when I got a call from the producers at Good Morning America saying that they were interested in me joining the team as a reporter. Um, And, you know, of course I said yes, (laughs) because, oh my gosh, now I was putting myself on an even bigger playing field, you know, the network playing field. So, you know, by taking that role, and of course I was still working full-time at local news, but by saying yes, that just like opened the door at GMA a little crack And, you know, it was up to me to try to put my shoulder against that door and open it all the way. I had to make those little, you know, three- or five-minute pieces that they were assigning me and myself interesting and, you know, appealing so that the executives would take notice. Um, And I guess they did. I guess I was there about a year when all of a sudden one morning my phone rang early, really early, and it was a producer from the control room And he said, both of our hosts are so struggling with laryngitis, it's hard to even listen to them. And I only lived a block away from the studio. They said, could you possibly come over here and and help take over and do some of the interviews? I mean, it didn't have to be on a neon sign. (laughs) This was a golden opportunity. So I said, I'll be right there. I got dressed as quick as I could and ran, literally ran down the block to go in the door of the studio. And, you know... I I think this is a page out of the Joan London playbook. Whenever asked 
someone ask you if you can do something, just say yes, and then go figure out how to do it. Don't ever say no and pass by an opportunity, because by saying yes that morning and getting out of bed and running in there, first of all, I didn't even hardly have time to get nervous, but by seizing that opportunity, those network producers saw me for the very first time as a potential host. And it paid off because, you know, eventually the day came, it was a couple years later, but the day came when I was sincere, uh, seriously considered for the job. And, um, you know, they wanted to make a change in the female host. David Hartman was the uh, the host of the show at that time. And so I said, sure, I loved, I'm really interested in the job. And believe it or not, they insisted that I be interviewed by David Hartman's agent. Now, this is something that would never happen in today's world. But back then, I mean, David was really the star of that show. And so I went on, I went to the agent's office, and the first thing he asked me was if I would be willing to change my hair color. And I just, like, looked at him. I thought, you want me to change my hair color? I'm a blonde. And the, he said, well, would you consider changing to brunette. So why? And he said, well, we're all concerned that you might look too young and that might make David look older. And that was the whole concern. They didn't want my presence on the show to change the public's perception of how David looked. But the bottom line is I did not change my hair color and I did get the job. And I was still working at Eyewitness News and I remember I was in, you know, the the in my little cubby in the newsroom, and I was getting ready for the 6 o'clock news. It was probably 5.40. My phone rang, and it was my agent, and he told me that he'd just gotten the call from ABC and that I'd gotten the job as co-host of Good Morning America. But then a few minutes later, I got another call. I was, had been newly married, and it was my gynecologist telling me I was pregnant with my first baby. So like in a few minutes, like literally within the span of a few minutes, I was presented with the challenge of being a working mom. And I got to tell you, in 1980, there wasn't any kind of role model out there to really look at to figure out how to navigate that one either. And I was really concerned about how ABC would take the news. But they so badly wanted to make a change because there was not a very... Um, happy atmosphere, let us say, in the studio, David really wanted to change co-hosts. So, you know, I, I guess they saw something in me and they, and they took a chance and they said yes, even knowing that I would be out for a little while having my first baby. So how did you balance, you know, being a new, new mom and having this, you know, new huge stepping stone in your career? I got to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to navigate that. Um, that is a demanding job. You know, you're up at 3, 3.30 in the morning. Of course, as a new mom, I was probably up anyway. But, um, but it was a live television show. You had, you know, four to seven interviews every morning that you had to be prepared for. So it was a scary proposition, i got to say. I mean, it was 1980. I mean, there just wasn't really a good example out there as to how to navigate it. But... <laughs> You got to know that at this point, I said yes, and I just figured I'd figure it out as I was doing it. And but you all, I always had this sense that I was kind of on the frontier 
or the like the wild, wild west of working moms in the country because the first day on Good Morning America, they in, they introduced me, and afterwards we had this big press conference in the studio, and all the major magazines came, you know, the women's magazines, uh, Ladies Home Journal, all of those, and Time and Newsweek, um, the, all the newspapers were there, and they were going to make the actual announcement that I was the new host of Good Morning America with David. And I remember that they took me aside and they said, all right, whatever you do, don't talk about the baby. Don't talk about the fact that you're a mom because everyone will think that you can't possibly be attentive and smart and ready to be on the air if they think that you have a baby. I said, okay. We start the news, the, the, news, the press conference. David does the introduction. I do my little hellos. We open it up for question. First question, Time Magazine. We hear you're bringing your baby to work. How are you handling that? So, like, I'm, my eyes are darting over to the PR people. Like, you can't, just, you can't not answer the question from the reporter from Time Magazine. So I told them that I was bringing the baby in with me, that the baby had a dressing room, and I had somebody coming in and, would take care of the baby, you know, during the show. And he said, what if you have to go on assignment? Well, I do have an arrangement that if I have to be on an extended assignment that I could take a child care person with me and the baby would go with me because I was a nursing mom. And that kind of requires the child to be with you. Okay, second question. Newsweek magazine, all anybody wanted to know about because that was what was knew that was what was groundbreaking not even so much a new female host on the show but for abc tv to be accommodating a working mom that was unheard of i mean it was really unheard of in 1980 by the end of the news conference all of a sudden i saw the director of pr open up the back door and walk in with my baby jamie in his arms and he's waving at me and he brought my little baby up to me and handed her to me. And all the pictures in every magazine and every newspaper was David and me with my little baby Jamie in my arms because that was the story of the moment. And I remember it wasn't too long after that David was on vacation and Barbara Walters, you know, who had been the host, of course, of the Today Show for so long, but she was at ABC at this point, And she was going to come in and sit in, which, by the way, was traumatizing to me because she'd always been my like like the oh my god I mean she was who I was looking to emulate and all of a sudden she was coming in to you know sub co-host with me and I remember I walked up to the area that all the makeup area and my dressing room was the first room off the makeup room and I looked in the door was open and Barbara was standing in there um over Jamie's crib and Jamie was sound asleep, like nestled in the corner of the crib. And she looked up at me in like total disbelief and said, I, I-, I can't even imagine what my bosses back at the Today Show, you know, back when I had my daughter was an infant, what they would have said if I had asked to bring my infant along with me to work. Boy, have times changed. And that's what was happening. That's what was happening in the 80s. 
the world was changing for women and and this new phenomenon of being a working mom. I mean, it was it was being present. Those challenges were being presented to women all over America. I was just doing it in the public eye. Well, that, that follows in really well to this next question. I, I had, um, you know, put out there for some questions to some different people. Uh, and uh, one is from uh, Leah in Nashville, who is, uh, who is who's just starting out as, uh, you know, an interviewer herself. But she said, first of all, uh, please tell Joan thank you for a moment everywhere because she rose to success. She paved the way for others. And, um, ah. and it, what was the best and hardest part? And you, I know you've answered some of these, but I want to make sure that I, I put this question out here too. But what are some of the best and hardest parts of rising up to success as a woman in a male-dominated industry? Uh, did you get to experience the women's empowerment movement, or did you experience women making it harder for you? Well, it was always men making it harder for me because as I came up through the ranks back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there were all men in those executive positions. And, you know, at the local level, the news, the owner of the station had asked me out, and I was always taught you don't go out with the boss. Or, and I said no. Besides that, it was way too old. I mean, I, was, I wasn't going to start that in where I just was starting my career. And he kind of held it against me and, was, and really made it hard for me and almost fired me at one point only because – I had been kind of been an intern position, and all of a sudden the union came along and said, wait a minute, she's on the air. She has to belong to the union. And that, was a, that meant I had to be raised up to the salary, to the union salary. And he, still being a little <clears throat> ticked off that I had rebuffed him, said, well, then to the news director, let her go. And that news director who had first auditioned me and hired me said, no way. She's going places, and if you make her leave, I'm leaving. His name was Paul Thompson, and he stuck up for me. And so the the owner acquiesced. And, I mean, you know, all the way along the way, it hasn't been so easy going. When I came to New York City, I don't know if you remember at all Eyewitness News back in those days, but it was um, Geraldo Rivera and John Johnson and Gloria Rojas and Roseanne Scamardella um, who was later parodied on Saturday Night Live, of course, by Gilda Radner. And it was a very ethnic group, and it was what it was a new way of doing local news where it was like everybody was a personality on the show. And here I came in, this little, you know, blonde from California. I had not made my way up through the ranks like a lot of them, and I was not welcomed with open arms. In fact, on Sundays when I anchored, the writers would do their best to write copy that, this, and then they'd stand in front of the set in the newsroom to see if I, if they tripped me up, like the you know the sailing ship sailed into the South Street Seaport. Like they would write me lines like that. If you saw the show Anchorman Two, I remember the I remember the New York Post called me and said, "We've heard that Anchorman Two is kind of very much like your early career. Will you go watch it?" And then let us interview you. And I, I was sitting at theater thinking, oh, my God, this was my career. You know, when you think about how he treats her on the, on the set um, of Anchorman 2, my first night anchoring in New York City with Roger Grimsby, a, a curmudgeon that every New York person knows. And he was a legend. 
Um, but it was the same day that Barbara Walters had been hired by ABC and left the Today Show and came over and was being put on the evening news. I remember Sam Donaldson was said to have run through the halls of ABC News saying, the women are coming, the women are coming. And so Barbara was the, on the first night that night, and I, Roger Grimsby, found himself sitting next to me. And so every time he threw to, threw to me, he looked at me and said, Barbara. And at first I thought, is he so old that he doesn't remember my name? But then other male reporters came on the show, and they would do their stories. I'd throw it to them. They would throw back to me, and they'd say, Barbara. Like halfway through the show, I mean, it was obvious that to me what was going on, they were all, like, hazing me. I don't know what people at home thought, but what was really a mind-blower is never at any point during that one-hour news broadcast did any of the executives come running into the studio to say, hey, knock it off. Nobody ever said knock it off. And nobody acknowledged it afterwards. Nobody apologized. I mean, that's the environment that I was in. And, you know, it it was not a, always a welcoming environment. So, you know, I, I had those obstacles along the way. But I, I, I must tell you, that, I mean, I get this question a lot. You know, what was it like you know, having to make my way through this male-dominated industry, especially in today's environment. And while there were all those obstacles, the biggest thing that comes to my mind is my departure from Good Morning America. Because I was in my 40s, and, you know, at the peak of my career, but the male executives on the show kind of got together, and they decided that the audience wanted a younger version of me. And couple that with the fact that the men on the show, the the host, the you know the reporters on the show, the producers, they all kind of banded together. They would always do this big post mortem after the show. They go out to lunch. I mean, they really that that kind of camaraderie creates bonds and loyalties that, in essence, kind of creates a form of job security. And I have often wondered. What if I had played that political game a little bit more? What if I had not gone home, you know, to my kids? What if I had pushed my way into that, you know, inner circle, that that corner office, in to have to be able to toot my horn and give my ideas to those male producers? Would that have possibly extended my stay there at GMA? And and may, I mean, it's always been kind of that lingering question, but at the same time. While it was a huge, I don't want to call it a hurdle, but it was a, a, a huge um, kind of loss. It was more so because it happened in the public eye. And, of course, everyone was asking, what are you going to do next? I think my favorite question was, gee, Joan, how are you, going to ever, how are you ever going to top that? But, you know, I think you can tell that I'm just this believer that with any you know, challenge or adversity in life, there's usually a lesson to learn or some little seed of another opportunity, some other door that's going to open. And when I now think back of all the things I've done in the past 20 years since I left GMA, the programs I've hosted, the campaigns I've fronted, the impact that I've been able to make in the field of health and especially women's health, um, none of those things would have ever occurred if 
that moment hadn't happened. And if I hadn't taken that moment and not been defeated by it, but but being refocused, refocused on how I was going to write my next chapter. And that's, I think, something that I always try to impart when I speak to audiences that don't just let life happen to you. You know, that pen's in your hand. You can write that next chapter. Cause, and that's kind of how I've walked through my life. You know, just being open to opportunities, always saying yes, and walking through doors that might seem a little scary or that sometimes weren't exactly open to me. For our next episode, we talked with five-time Guinness World Record holders and America's Got Talent finalists, The Passing Zone. So make sure to subscribe to get the episode when it releases. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you listen this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.